You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Uh, Take a seat. Thank you so much to all of you in the band. Well, today, this, this isn't a specific message for Father's Day, but I would like to begin by saying my thank you to all CLM's men, young and old, who invest in others, who bring your love, your encouragement, you uh, look for those in the next generation and input to them. Please keep doing this. Please keep getting alongside others and looking out for them. It means so much. It makes so much of a difference. Uh, please don't stop. I also just want to say something to all the women in the room. I don't know if, like me, you saw the size of those chocolate bars and thought, hang on, hang on, those are way bigger than what we got on Mother's Day. Anyway, so I just said to Pastor Martin, is there any reason why the chocolate bars are so much bigger than what were given to the women? He said they were on a very good deal. I understand the same amount of money has been spent, but if that helps you to move on, I'm just passing that on right now. It's important. Everything speaks. My, uh, ironically, uh, today's title is this, Let Go and Let God. Let go, let God. One of the greatest blessings of a good father, things that are modelled by God himself in how he treats us, is to be able to bring strength to someone, but not control them. To protect them, but not to force restraint on them. To invest and give to them without rigidly determining the outcome. To love and yet be able to let go. But letting go is something that can be a challenge for so many of us. Probably many of us will have seen in the media the, uh, the pictures and the videos of little Amelia, the Ukrainian seven-year-old, singing from Disney's Frozen, Let It Go. She was first filmed singing it, sheltering in a basement in Kyiv. And now from the safety of Poland, able to travel and sing it in other places. How inspiring to see this brave and brilliant little girl singing Let It Go. But the actual business of letting go is a very different thing. So I wonder if you'll come with me this morning to some verses in John chapter 12. And as you're turning there, maybe in a Bible or on a device, then uh, let me just fill you in to what has been going on in the preceding chapters, what's been going on in the life of Jesus. Chapter 11, of course, he goes to the house of Lazarus and Mary and Martha and raises Lazarus from the dead. There's increasing opposition to him by the religious leaders because of what he's doing. We then see Mary pour out this expensive perfume, this extravagant act of worship as she pours it out on his feet. Shortly followed by a triumphal entry into Jerusalem where there's crowds shouting, cheering. This is a time of incredible power and profile for Jesus, but also increasing opposition. And so we land in at verse 20. This is what it reads. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies... 
it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, but what shall we say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. This is the word of the Lord. So here we find Jesus in this moment of power and profile, and some Greeks show up. Now, I don't know if they maybe couldn't get physically uh, close to Jesus, or if they weren't confident to approach it because they weren't sure if they were permitted to do so directly. You see, non-Jewish people did not have the same religious access as those who were Jewish. And for whatever reason, these men come to the disciples and they say, we want to see Jesus. And we get this hesitation in the disciples. You see, they'd been in other settings where Jesus had either said kind of, uh, well, he'd implied or said directly that really he was here primarily for the Jewish people rather than the Gentiles like these Greeks. You see, these Greek people, they were the outsiders. They themselves would have been well aware there was separation in the temple. They weren't allowed right in. And so Philip and Andrew, we get told, go together to say to Jesus that there's some people who want to see you. I do find it interesting that Philip and Andrew both go together and we get told this. It's almost like in the text, I don't know if Philip was like, I don't dare ask Jesus this one. And maybe he said, you go, Andrew. Andrew went, no, 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 you go, Philip. And in the end, they said, we'll go together. We don't imagine the disciples being like this, but I think there's a bit of that going on. They go to Jesus, they say, Jesus, there's some Greeks. They want to see you. And the verses we read today are Jesus' reply to this. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus is using a picture here to talk about the deeper meaning of what is unfolding in the eternal redemptive purposes of God in these moments that he's standing in and is about to walk through in the days to come. He's using a perfect picture for his farming audience that were around him. Do we have any farmers here this morning in central Coventry? No, I didn't think we would have. Maybe we've got some joining online. Do we have anyone in the room who's ever planted a seed? Just great, you're with me then, this is good. See, if we've ever planted a seed or we know about what happens then, there's a process that happens when a seed gets planted. We take the seed, we plant it in the ground, and in the darkness and the moisture of the earth, changes begin to happen. The outer casing of the seed breaks off as what inside begins to develop, begins to fulfill the life-giving potential that was stored in the seed and a sprout emerges. The seed as it was is dead. It no longer exists, but something new is coming in its place. The seed dies. It cannot be found any longer. But when it dies, and only when it dies, its potential to produce many seeds begins to be fulfilled. So Jesus is using this picture. In this moment, the cross for him would have been in full Focus. The goal was salvation for the Jew and the Gentile, for all people. 
He knew through this he was going to glorify the Father, but he knew in order for this to be fulfilled that the seed of his life was going to need to be laid down in the ground. Jesus makes this profound statement pointing to the once for all redeeming work of the cross that was about to take place, but knowing that it required the seed of his life to be put in the ground, he was going to need to let go and let God. Now we do hear Jesus in these words, he says, my soul is troubled. We see something that this is beginning to get difficult. We see more of the anguish and the struggle in the garden of Gethsemane. We often focus there on Good Friday. In that place, he anguished at the letting go, the laying down, not surprisingly. As he thought about the cup of judgment that he was going to drink for mankind, the sin and the shame that he would carry as if it were his own, in the garden, there's a wrestle, there's a struggle, there's anguish. I think he said, I'm overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He is praying and he says, Lord, if, uh, if you're willing, take this from me. The words are stronger when we read it in Mark. It says, Father, take this cup from me. There's a wrestle, there's a struggle. And yet, of course, where he lands is, yet not my will, but yours be done. To let go and to let God, there can be a struggle to relinquish, to align to the will of God. But of course, Jesus does it. Not my will, but yours, he says. Words we know well, but how much hangs on those words? Jesus knew that this was going to bring glory to the Father. It was going to open up salvation. He was, <clears throat> it was going to open up a way for many to see God and to know him and for God's purposes to be fulfilled. He knew that this would open up the way if we can use the language of Hebrews to bring many sons to glory. From his seed put in the ground as he let go and let God would come many seeds. So these verses, they give us a window on a profound moment for Jesus, an insight into what was going on. And it's beautiful and it's powerful, but Jesus doesn't stop there. He adds these words, whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be, and my Father will honour the one who serves me. We love to celebrate the precious sacrifice of Jesus, and rightly so. Let us never stop doing that. But in these words, Jesus is taking us, his followers, further than that. He's saying, if you serve me, you will follow me. I let go and let God, and if you follow me, he's saying, you will do the same. And this causes me then to ask the question of myself, when did I last pray and say to the Lord, not my will, but yours be done? When did I last let go and let God? See, this idea of letting go and letting God, it brings to the fore the privilege and the problem of human will. It is an incredibly powerful thing. God made man to rule the earth and gave him free will to do it with. A will that can impact what happens, a will that affects how people get treated, a will that can steer and control aspects of life for ourselves and for others. Of course, human will is loudly recognizable uh, in toddlers, isn't it? Somewhere between uh, the age of one and two, 
is normally when the will emerges. The word no gets learned and used with force and passion. Toys can be snatched, siblings and peers can be shoved or bitten even, and simple requests can be met with weeping and wailing. It's a long time ago in our household, but I still remember it well. Such is the normal emergence of human will. And if you are parenting in that stage, we say strength to you and we're with you. Keep going. The truth is, as we get older, the will doesn't become any less strong just by the passing of time. Although the will also desires to be liked and respected and learns to keep it decent on the outside. We learn to manage our will, and unless we're put under too much pressure, we generally manage it. We don't keep on tantruming. But the will is alive and well. It determines what we want to watch on Netflix, what we want to eat, whether we'll go to KFC or McDonald's or somewhere else. It determines whether I join church in person or online, whether I give way to the car on the other side of the road. It's what can make it so hard to agree with my colleague at work or my spouse at home and probably impacts several hundred choices every day. Our will kicks in, it has something to say about who we want to be, how we want to be satisfied, how we want to be successful. It might speak into whether I want to be married or single, whether I want to be free or famous or wealthy, whether I want to be in or out of this, whatever this is. It might make us want to be secure or comfortable, recognized or hidden. Influential, appreciated, respected. Our will knows what it wants from life, albeit some are more flexible than others. And we can find that we have an internal narrative that comes driven by our will, that informs us what we actually need if we're going to be happy or at peace or satisfied. It tells me that I need to have this or I need to have that. I'm going to, I'm going to really have to have some of those trainers, even though they're that expensive. Actually, if I'm going to be at peace, I'm going to need that family member to start doing that thing I need them to do. I'm going to need to get the job, or the things are going to need to work out the way I had hoped. Or in some way or another, things must match up to the picture that I have in my mind, or the one that I've seen on Insta, because that's what my will desires. This is a normal part of life. But as Christians, as we've learned to pray, or we're learning to pray, what we naturally do is take these things in prayer and we ask God for them, often. And that's actually very biblical, to pray and even persist in prayer for the things that are concerns for us and the Lord invites us to do so. But sometimes the strength of our will can mean that when we come to God, we can become indignant when we do not get what our will desires. When God doesn't answer, as we wanted him to, when the breakthrough doesn't come or doesn't come quickly enough and we can find ourselves starting to wrestle or maybe even to fight a bit and struggle with God, sometimes it's because we've actually put the thing that our will desires in the place of God. And instead of allowing God to satisfy us, our will is driving us after something else instead. As Richard Foster puts it in his book, Prayer, he says, we beg. We pout, we demand, we expect God to perform like a magician or shower us with blessings like Father Christmas. We major on instant solutions. Whilst God sometimes gives us these, Jesus in these verses, he is calling us to something different. Something more, something more mature, which is to learn to let go 
and to let God. He's inviting us in, 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 exactly in these moments when our will is challenged, when the circumstances of, of our lives are not as we want them to be. In those moments when it chafes, he's saying, then will you let go and will you let God? Will you take the seed of your life and let it fall into the ground of God's soil? The seed of our lives. You see, we all have hopes and dreams a sense of call, a career aspiration maybe, position, influence, reputation, status, relationships around our lives, whether in family or key friendships that are important to us. In fact, whatever we have in our lives, anything we look to that could deliver something for us or provide something or meet a need, whether it's real or perceived, that is a kind of seed that we can choose to let go of and put into God's soil and let him do with as he wishes, or we can choose to keep hold of it. There's something happens when we take the seed of our lives and we put it into God's soil, when we put what we have on God's altar. We see it happen, we see it unfold for us in the account of Abraham. See, Abraham was actually tested in this matter specifically, whether he would let go and let God. You see, all his promises were bound up in his son Isaac. Everything that God had spoken, everything he dreamed of, it rested on Isaac and God said, I want you to sacrifice him. Let go and let God, do you really trust me? And as Abraham did this or positioned himself to do this, what happened was not only did he get, well, he didn't have to actually sacrifice his son, he was essentially given Isaac back, but something of the nature of God was revealed to him in a new way and for the first time. It's on that mountain that is revealed that God is Jehovah Jireh, the God who sees and the God who sees to it. When we let go and we let God, not only is he able to bring fruitfulness in our lives, but something more of his nature, his goodness, his glory gets revealed to us. Of course, we see throughout scripture, others who God asks to let go and let God. Many of us will know the stories. Moses grew up in Pharaoh's palace. He knew and he saw the suffering of the Hebrew people, his people, and he wrestled with the call to bring justice and freedom to God's people. Trying to outwork him himself, it himself he killed a slave uh, driver and then had to flee to Midian. This was a man who was called and saved and positioned for such a significant purpose, but he couldn't outwork it by holding on to it and trying to make it happen. He had to let go and let God, to let God work it out in his time and in his way. Of course, God showed up in the burning bush on the far side of the desert when it was time. And through the process, Moses, Moses was able to learn who he really was and of course also he saw something more of who God really is, because God revealed that he is, I am who I am. And of course, then in time, God worked through Moses, the extraordinary purpose of freeing the people from Egyptian slavery, because as a seed dies and falls to the ground, it produces many seeds. We could think about Hannah, desperately desired a child and asked the Lord and said, if you would just give me a son, then I will give him back to you. And so when she was given a son, Samuel, when she had nursed him and weaned him, she took him to the temple and put him in the care of Eli the priest. Now, I understand if you're a parent, there are days when you wish there was somewhere you could take your child and leave them. I don't think this is what happens in Hannah's life, by the way. 
She let go of her son. She gave him back to the Lord. We don't read in the account in 1 Samuel of struggle or wrestle of tears, but I'm sure there were. As she let go of her son and entrusted him to God. And Samuel grew up. We get told in 1 Samuel that in those days the word of the Lord was rare. But a young man entrusted to the Lord, seed put in the ground, learns to hear the voice of God. And the words and the direction of God is restored to his people. Because when a seed falls to the ground and dies, it produces many seeds. We could go on to David, the anointed king, the successor to King Saul. But David refused to grab hold of and take control of the outcome of the situation. Whenever King Saul tried to pursue him, to be done with him and get rid of him, David had countless opportunities to kill him. And each time he said, I will not, I will let go, and I will let God. Even those, although those around him urged him to take it in his own hands. And of course, in time, he was made king having walked honorably before both God and Saul. And what followed was an intensely fruitful season of building the kingdom. When David let go and let God, Esther, again, positioned in a royal palace as a Jewish woman, as her people faced oppression and genocide, knowing that she would be killed if she approached the king unsolicited, and he did not hold out his scepter of favor. But she came to the conclusion that she must go. It didn't come easy. She struggled. It needed Mordecai to work with her and persuade her because she was wrestling. She needed to know that people were going to pray and fast as she prayed and fasted. And only then she said, okay, I'll go. And if I perish, I perish. The seed falls to the ground. And as she went, of course, there's a complete shift in the situation. It produced many seeds. We could keep going through the Old Testament. Daniel, who we've heard about recently, Nehemiah, Ezra, the prophets, they all have this moment, this point of relinquishment, of letting go to let God. We, we can think of Mary, the mother of Jesus, her famous words, which are words of letting go and letting God. She said, let it be to me as you have said. As this woman was about, well, I say woman, she was a teenager, and she was about to walk into something so utterly unknown to her, something so naturally unbelievable that no one was going to believe what she said. As she faced maybe the, the man to whom she was engaged and upon whom she depended, who would probably leave her and she would be alone. As she's told about all of this, her response, let it be to me, according to your word, or as you have said. It's just another way of saying, not my will, but yours be done. And as she says these words, a seed falls to the ground and dies. But when it dies, it produces many seeds and a savior is born who brings salvation to all of mankind. The Apostle Paul, we read in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 8, he writes in, uh, about a thorn in his flesh that tormented him. And it says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. He's praying, Lord, I need it to change. I need you to move it. I need you to sort this out. We don't know what the thorn was, actually. We don't know if it was something physical, pain or limitation or some sort of illness. Well, some people have thought maybe that it was someone else who was trying to discredit and undermine him, some sort of first century troll, I think. They don't know exactly what he's writing about, but we know that he's pleading with the Lord. He's wrestling with God. 
And the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power will be made perfect in weakness. In short, God says, no. God says, no. I'm not going to take it, but I'll give you grace for the journey. And actually, that will be enough for you because my grace is sufficient. You know, Paul could have argued. He could have said, but Lord, think of the things you've asked me to do, the places to go, the churches I'm trying to oversee, this mission that I'm trying to do. It wouldn't have been unreasonable for him to come back and say, I can't do this if you don't remove it. He could have wrestled and struggled, but no. He says, therefore, I'll boast all the more in my weakness. He let go, let God. Just let God, you do it your way. That's the way you want to do it. Be glorified your way, I trust you. See, the heroes of the Bible, the bringers of the kingdom throughout scripture, they let go and they let God. They took the seed of their lives and they let it fall to the ground. And as they did so, they saw it produce many seeds. Will we take the seed of our lives and put it in God's soil? Will we let go and let God? Will we let him take what is in our lives and let it be transformed and broken open as Jesus allowed his life to be in God's hands? Because when we let the seed of our lives fall to the ground in God's soil, it has the power to produce many seeds, to be very fruitful, not only in our own lives, but also for the lives of others. What Jesus is giving in the answer to this question is actually a key for kingdom multiplication, to take what we have in our lives and for it to bear much fruit. And he goes on and he says, if a man loves his life, he'll lose it. While the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You see, we can hold on to the seed, but in the end, we'll lose it. But when we let go of it into God's soil, it can bear much fruit for eternity. In my own life, there have been multiple seasons of letting go in different ways, from walking away from a relationship in my late teens with someone where we both thought that it would go the distance because God said that we should lay it down, and so we did. Journeying a season of intense limitation and difficulty, crying out to God to shift things and move things, and then coming to a point of realizing the Lord was asking me to let go, to stop fighting, and changing my prayer to saying, Lord, I will stay here in this place as long as you want me to do that. I can't understand why you're doing that, but I will do that and I will stop fighting. But as long as you give me everything I need for every day, because I cannot do this, on my own. In another way, leaving our place in a community in Nottingham with people we journeyed with for a number of years, we let go to let God. Each time we do it, there's a wrestle, there's a struggle, but we come to a place of rest in Him, of freedom. Each time I see something more of God, of His power and presence to sustain me, to give me his love and for his grace to actually be enough. They're not just words, it's actually real when you walk in it. And I also see him change me and use me. And every time, in time, there is fruit. There is fruit in my life and fruit through my life. And you know when we entrust something to God and we wait for the fruit that he will bring, what he brings forth is always good. It's always good, it's always better, because God is always faithful. 
He's not asking us to sow something and, and then just see whether that pans out all right. God is good. He's a good, good father. He's perfect in all of his ways as we've sung today. What he does with what we entrust to him is always good. How can we practically do this? How do we let go and let God? Well, the opportunity comes in the ordinary circumstances of life when they do not line up how we want them to. Five simple steps that we might find helpful. Number one, recognize where you're holding on to something tightly that you need to let go of. Recognize what's going on. Is there a seed in your life, something that you're holding on to because it's dear to you? Maybe a responsibility that you're carrying that actually isn't yours to carry, it's God's to carry. You're carrying anxiety because you're taking responsibility for something that needs to sit with him. Recognize it, call it out, ask Holy Spirit to show you. Secondly, repent. Say sorry to God that you haven't trusted him. Thirdly, release it into his hands. Each thing that you find, just give things over to him, one at a time, talk to him about it, give it to him. There may be struggle, there may be wrestle, there may be tears, but put it into his hands. Number four, rest. Because I can tell you if you do one to three, there'll be a place of rest that comes. Lean back into the rest that comes as you let go and let God. And fifthly, which may not come immediately, but rejoice. Rejoice because you know that in time you'll see the fruit of the seed. I can't say when, but new life will come. And I know it will come because resurrection always follows crucifixion. When we plant seed, it always brings forth what it should do. Rejoicing comes. It may not always come immediately. Even Jesus' body was in the ground for three days. I don't know if you've planted seeds ever, and then you keep going back to look and to see if anything's growing. And they never grow fast enough, do they? You keep going back, is it growing yet? Is it growing yet? And you reach that point and you think, I don't know if those seeds were any good. I don't know if anything's gonna come. And then comes the day where there's a tiny, tiny speck of green as it reaches for the light. You see, Jesus said, if it dies, it produces many seeds. God's soil is good soil. God's soil is soil that can bring forth resurrection. He may give you back the very thing that you laid down, as he did with Abraham. Or he may take what you laid down and transform it and give it back in a different way. You may see growth that looks different to what you planted, but new life comes. Something more fruitful for you and for others as you let go and let God. Not long ago, I revisited the need to let go. I had a challenge that related to my health. And it came somewhat out of the blue, and I realized that I had many things, responsibilities, ideas, dreams, some about home and family and relationships, some about ministry and what I longed to see God do and how I thought that might unfold and what it might look like. And I was holding it all so tightly. And the prospect of it all being changed or shifted or maybe even all removed, I couldn't bear it. I was recoiling at it. I was wrestling. I had no rest. I was disturbed in my sleep at night. I kept waking up in the middle of the night and immediately like waking and having this strong just sense of refusal to accept what seemed to be being imposed upon my life. I had no rest. 
And I told a couple of friends what I was journeying, and my good friend Joy, who always speaks truth to me, which is a, the best friend you can hope for, she said, I think you maybe need to let go. So I think you need to practice some relinquishment. And she pointed me to a book that actually she'd bought me a little while ago, this Richard Foster book on prayer, and she, she directed me to the chapter on relinquishment. And I read it, and it was helpful, but I knew actually it wasn't the theory that I needed, it was the practice. And I went and found a quiet place, recognized that it was as though my fists were tightly closed on all these things that are in my life. I mean, it's crazy, really, because it's not like I could really control them anyway, but I knew I wasn't trusting. And as I realized that, I had to come and repent. Say, Lord, I'm sorry for where I find myself. Would you help me? And I began to release in prayer each thing. I took it one by one things that I had hopes about, things that I had dreams about, things that I had expectations. And I talked to the Lord about them and I literally just kind of put them as it were into God's hand. It was a struggle, it was a wrestle. Not that they were actually mine to hold, but I felt like I was holding them. I relinquished them one by one, letting them go. And I came to a point where I said, well, Lord, my hands are empty now. So I'm asking you to put back into my hands what you want to be in them. And I trust you, whether it's the things that I've laid down or whether it's something different, I trust you because you've always been good. And I know you'll be with me whatever you ask me to walk through. And that will be enough. I let go to let God. And what followed was rest. Peace was restored. It wasn't resolution but rest. There were still some big issues hanging in the balance, but there was rest. I could lean back into the sufficiency of my Father and know it was all in safe hands. It was in good soil. And within a short while, some resolution did come and I was able to rejoice. It's not always how it works. But the things that I'd laid down were put back into my hands as the situation shifted. But the process of letting go had done something profound again in my soul, of surrender, of trust, of seeing God differently again, of seeing myself differently, of understanding even that I was holding on to some things and coming back to a place of being in His rest, of His grace being sufficient and nothing else and finding that he was enough, even there, even here. Jesus invites us to follow him, to let go and to let God. He reminds us that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds, many seeds. And I also just want to remind you that he will walk with you as you do this. Only Jesus has ever had to let go alone. Only Jesus ever had to do this on his own because you see, he had to go to the cross and allow the Father to forsake him because the Father had to let go of him as he carried our sin and our shame, as he took the punishment that should be ours. And so Jesus had to let go alone, but he never asks us to do that. He will always, walk with us as we let go and let God.
And when we let go, it brings us rest. It opens the way for resurrection life. Surrendered, fruitful life that brings glory to the Father. It makes room for God to resurrect what He wants to in our lives, to bring something forth, probably this better than what we can do on our own. It makes a way for us to surrender our will to His, to line them up. And actually, that is how the kingdom comes. Letting go and letting God positions us for fruitfulness, and He is good. We can trust Him. He wants what is good for us, and He will always walk with us. It's costly, yeah, but it brings rest, and it brings rejoicing. And any seed that dies in His soil, any seed that dies in His soil, will produce many seeds. It will bring forth fruit. We have the very words of Jesus that say it is so. He says, if it dies, it produces many seeds. And so I wonder if you'll stand with me to pray as I finish. The band want to come and join. Perhaps as you come to God today, you're aware you just, you come with the seed of your life. Maybe there's things that are precious to you. Perhaps you come carrying responsibility that's not actually yours to carry. And you need to give it back to God. I felt the Holy Spirit say that specifically uh, somebody who's carrying questions that you've been wrestling over needing answers to. And it's become a point of wrestle and struggle and He invites you today to let it go. Not that they're not reasonable questions. It's not that he's not concerned about the questions, but he's inviting you to let them go. So I wonder if we might pray together. Perhaps open your hands to the Lord. Jesus, we say thank you in this place today that you let go that you laid down your life. Thank you that you made a way for us and you brought us in to be able to see you and to know you. We rejoice in what you have done in producing many seeds by sowing your life. Please would you help us to learn to walk in the grace that you give. Help us to follow where you lead. Help us to let go and let God. Help us to find the rest that comes as we let go, as we sow the seed of our lives into your soil. And Father, let us rejoice with you in your resurrection life, as you bring forth much fruit, as you glorify your name through us by your incredible grace. We ask in your name. Amen.